Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. This morning, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 11, 24 to 29. Just while you find that, I do think in the, um, in the light of what's you know, the, the tragedy of this week, life is a precious gift Amen. from God. Amen. And um, every, not every day, every hour, every second is, is an opportunity. None of us know that moment, do we, when he calls us back. Amen. Amen. And it's a privilege to be alive with him within. And in some ways, it does confirm these thoughts. So moving forward by faith is the title. Hebrews 11, 24 to 29. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward, full stop. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Famous passages, a summary of, of Moses, uh, highlights of his life, if you like. When we're alive, there's, there's basic things we need to do. We need to eat, we need to drink, we need to breathe, and we need to move. And we can't eat, drink, breathe without moving. Now, as Christmas comes, we know eating and drinking are rather easy, but the moving, while we're comfortable, sat on the sofa, enjoying the third movie of the day, the movement can be a little bit more challenging. Those of us who are born again, which I'm assuming is all of us in this room, hopefully, praise God, we, are, we have new life spiritually. And, and to sustain us, we chew on the meat, hopefully, of God's word, the truth, and yet we breathe in the spirit. We drink in the living water. So in John 4, 23, when Jesus is having a chat to the, the Samaritan lady by the well, it says, a time has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. One fits the other like a hand in a glove. We need the word of God, we need the, the spirit. In other words, we're grounded, we're guided and protected by the framework of God's love. Nothing would contradict this word. And yet, the inspiration, the anointing and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is the fuel that builds God's kingdom. It changes our lives and it changes a community out there that doesn't yet know him. The reason we need to be propelled by the spirit and truth is basically for a response. Because we can come each week, we can feast, we can be full and almost pregnant with, with the word of God and with the Holy Spirit. And yet if we go out in the week and come back equally filled, 
We haven't used what God has given us. The point of being filled and being inspired and knowing God's word is to go out and get rid of it, to use it, to, 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 to share the, the, the very heart of Jesus who is dwelling in you. We need to be empty when we come back and say we need to be filled each week because we've done stuff, we've moved and we've been productive in, in our lives. A long time ago, probably about the time when my hairstyle was fashionable, <laughs> um, or even before then, there was a song. <laughs> and the lines of it most of you will be familiar with. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a wonderful feeling and everything's going, we could say, God's way. And um, as Christians. But it's easy when it's easy. When we go for the interview, we get the job. It's easy to praise God. When we meet the partner of our dreams and we're planning good things, it's easy to praise God when the first child comes along, when we've got our eye on the leather and the aircon and we've got the finances to buy it. It's great. We can praise God easily. But when it's tough, it's tough. It's a bit more difficult to have an attitude of gratitude when we go through the trials, the tribulations and the difficulties. This summer has been a mixture. Some people it's been the best summer of their lives. They've had more family time. They've been together. They've had space. For other people it's been a nightmare. They've lost their job. They may have even lost a relative, called home. Um, you know, they may live in a small accommodation, they've had children, dogs, cats, and they couldn't really work, and yet they got to work at home. So it's been a contrast. Some people it's been wonderful, easy to praise God, and for some of us it's been really difficult. It's been a most difficult summer of our lives. We're very blessed here, of course, because so few people did get the virus, but nonetheless, it's impacted every single one of us in some way. So it's tough when it's tough. That's the very point when we need God's power to help us to persist when it's hard. And um, obviously we know that even from this morning, the shock of this week, don't we? We really need to persist and keep him close to our hearts. It seems to me that, that lowly jobs sometimes, although we all want the best paid job and um, and it's no, there's nothing wrong in, in trying to um, head for excellence and, and get to the top of your professions. But in the Bible, particularly in Jesus' time, shepherding was one of the lowly jobs. It was, if you like, a little bit on par with cleaning the toilets at McDonald's or picking up the litter and, and those kind of roles. And yet the humility which, which God seems to desire in the hearts of his biblical heroes often those lowly tasks are part of their training. There's nothing wrong to do those kind of tasks at all. In the Bible, I've got three wise shepherds before we move on to the one we're focusing on. And we've heard of the three wise men, but the three wise shepherds, we're going to start with Abraham, the father of our faith. He left Iraq for the promised land. But he went on a zigzag. He ended up in Egypt and he tried to pretend his wife wasn't his own a couple of times just to protect himself. And then he sleeps with his maidservant to help God on his way with a promise. He'd been promised a son. So we'll give God a hand and 4,000 years later, we've still got the issue of the Jews and the descendants of Ishmael 
Yeah? It's, we don't need to help God, believe me. <laughs> he needs to help us. So that's the first shepherd. The second one is King David. Most of us um, will know King David for the greatest king of Israel, the second king, um, as, as Jesse lines up his sons. Who will Samuel anoint as the next king to follow Saul? And they're like the Chippendales. They're all there, the big brothers of David. And it's none of them. And Jesse calls his little squib of a son off the field with the sheep. And Samuel, that's the one. Because God does not look at the outward appearance. He's looking at the heart. And yet the heart of this man committed the most famous adultery in the Bible. He'd got loads of ladies and concubines. I forget the number. But he still saw Bathsheba and lusted for her and took her. And not only that, then puts her husband on the front line of the latest conflict, knowing that was a death sentence. And yet this was another Biblical hero, a wise shepherd. And finally, Moses, of course, who lost his temper in rage when he saw one of his fellow Hebrews being treated badly by the Egyptian guard. But he didn't just lose his temper, he murdered the guard and ran off, ran off to Midian. Yet another shepherd. So why, why is it that these shepherds are wise? And it's not because of their wrong actions. It's not because of the faults in their character, because, hello, I think we can all tick a few boxes. But the reason they were wise was that they kept moving. They kept learning from their mistakes. They were teachable to the end. And they persisted by faith in spite of the failings and difficulties. Four quick points on our passage about Moses as we focus on this wise shepherd, who certainly turned things around. The first one was he was secure in his identity with God's people. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. This man was a prince of Egypt. He had food on a plate served to him. He had access to beautiful ladies. He, um, he had everything there. Whoa. <laughs> he had... Um, you know, the magicians, he could basically have the whim of his desire at any point. And yet, he chose to identify with the slaves who were God's people. They were being mistreated. Basically, he couldn't walk like an Egyptian. Remember that one? <laughs> but he didn't only identify with, he also looked like the Hebrew people, because they were his descendants. For us, our identity is in Christ. Our names are graven on his hand. Our names are written in the book of life for eternity. Moses was secure in who he was in God. He didn't look at other people and evaluate himself by their gifts, talents and anything else. He was secure in being the man of God he was. Colossians 2.13, this is for us. As Christians, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins and all does mean all the past sins, the present sins and the sins yet we will commit, of course. 
But he chose each of us simply because he wanted to. For a time such as this, our identity is secure in him. Every failing is forgiven when we come to him as we've just done to take our emblems. It's a clean slate. We be encouraged, we move on. The second point, Moses had a forward focus. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. So the summary of that, he's got this bigger picture vision. He was not going to settle for mediocrity. Eternity was in his sights and that's such a challenge for us in such a, a blessed place like this when really when we live with all of our, our provision and in a safe place and crime's very low and all that, sometimes we're not really having an eternal focus but we're focusing on the pleasures and the comforts we're enjoying. We don't really want that to change a lot of us and so having that eternal focus being able to look beyond into this fleeting life we have and embracing it of course and enjoying it and thanking God attitude of gratitude but there is an eternity that focus kept Moses moving forward if any of you visited Israel um um, as Greg said, it's one of the places I've been about five times, spent about six months out there in total. But it's a beautiful country. There's two sources of the River Jordan. One, a springs of water that well up on the, the slopes of the Golan Heights and Mount Hermon. And the other is Mount Hermon itself. It, it's, it's so high that it, it gathers snow and ice in the winter. As the snow and ice melts and it starts to trickle down the hillside and those, those springs overflow, the waters join, the waters join together. The streams of living water are focusing on that big ocean, the ocean's like eternity. And, and as the little streams become bigger streams, they meander around that mountainside. And as the rivers grow, it starts to push the silt aside. The water travels over obstacles and it cuts through the environment. It reshapes the environment. Also, the water sustains new life. It brings new life. Can you see why Jesus mentioned that theme and wanted to, to refer to his believers? Something that brings new life, changes the environment, removes obstacles, removes silt out of its way and finds a path through difficulty around those boulders. A forward focus. Moses thirdly had the courage to leave his comfort behind. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He was able to continue, to persevere, to remain onward because he could see him who was invisible. We sense God in our spirit, don't we? It's our drive to keep going. Like Moses, often God calls people to leave the safety and comfort of what they know. Peter, if you think about it, left his fishing boats to become a fisher of men. Abraham left his homeland of Iraq, like many of us have, to come to Jersey. But he left Iraq 
to go to the promised land. And Jesus, of course, left heaven, sat at the right hand of his Father to clothe himself in humanity and suffer to die on that cross so that you and I can have a resurrected life for eternity and any single person that wants to accept what he's done for them. Praise God. This leaving of comfort did mean a moving. And there's a picture um, you've possibly heard before, but if any of you have been on a Condor ferry, when it's tied in the harbour, it's not moving, is it? But when it starts to sail to St. Marlo, it's en route to France. But heaven forbid if it should start to turn for Guernsey, eh? <laughs> it needs a sat-nav to quickly get it back going to St. Marlo. But when it's moving, it can be redirected on course. But when it's in the harbour, it can't be. It's, it's stuck. It's stagnant. It might be a pretty boat and it might have all the facilities to get to France. But it's going nowhere. It's, it's in the harbour. The fourth point was that Moses trusted God to overcome his enemies. Well, as we know, if you've been a Christian more than about five minutes, there, it, it's, it's a challenging walk sometimes. Maybe not. The first three, three years for me were quite a, a honeymoon period, if you like. But then once you press on and um, you realise it's a roller coaster ride, really. God, it's Jesus, I'd say, is in the carriage with you on the roller coaster. You're sort of doing that. You're gradually growing but yay woo, you know it's not just a nice steady um well certainly my path hasn't been and um so there's an overcoming there's a reality of battle there's a reality that there's an enemy but Moses trusted God to overcome his enemies by faith God's people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land but when the Egyptians tried to do so they were drowned well, we all know the story, don't we? The Egyptians were slaves, uh, sorry, the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt. And, and Pharaoh didn't want to let them go. And, and eventually God has to judge Pharaoh when he allows the plagues. There's 10 of them. But it's not until the death of the firstborn that Pharaoh's hearts even softened enough to let them go. And then they wander off. He allows Moses to lead them through the wilderness, as it were, or the desert. And then he suddenly changes his mind. No, I want them back to do the work. So he sends his army, and they're all there with their spears and chariots. Go and get them back, get them back. And so there's this chase going on. And then what happens is the Hebrews, they get to the, to the banks of the, of the Red Sea. And they're, and they're looking in one way, about a mile behind are the Egyptians with their spears. And they are, we're gonna cross the water. And and Moses touches the water and miraculously God parts the waters. There's walls of water. And the, and the Hebrews walk through. And the Egyptians are seeing this and they, they oh great, the waters. And then, and then when they get all in, God closes it and he takes out the enemies of God. God saves his people by a miracle. And that's the business he's still in today. God saves his people by a miracle. God's people, of course, continue on that journey. And um, there's other sermons about them wandering about for 40 years, but we won't go there today. I work in a, in a shop that sells cards at the post office. And um, I, some of them make me laugh. There's a, a brand called Farside. 
And there's a picture of this one, and it's got like the Egyptians with the spears in a corner of the card. And then Moses standing with the, the walls of water, and one of the Hebrews is chatting to Moses. And he's looking down one of the slaves in his sandals, and he goes, it's a bit muddy, isn't it? <laughs> it always tickled me, that one. <laughs> but sometimes the journey is a bit dirty. It's not clinically clean. God never said it will all be beautifully in a clinical path. Yeah, sometimes we have to get a bit muddy. And sometimes, God, I can think he's pulling his hair out. He's doing miracles and we're still moaning. But <laughs> hey-ho, welcome to being a person. But nothing will stop God's purposes. Our faithful God, he's always one step ahead of the opposition. He is our defence. He is our protector. And he is fighting for us. He has the victory. We need to trust him. In conclusion this morning, the challenge today, and I'm sure you've probably got it by now, is that God would want us all to move on. And when I say move on, I don't mean leave Jersey unless that you're being called elsewhere. But we move on into his purpose, his plans and his positions for maximum potential. We're building God's kingdom here now. He's chosen us. And sometimes I, we probably all question, oh God, how can you, why me, why me? And yet he's chosen all of us. We're all different and that's great because we all have a different part to play. When I grew up, I grew up in Staffordshire in England, and it's one of the counties that still got a little light steam train, Foxfield Light Railway. It only ran on a Sunday in the summer. And each Sunday, a little chuffin billy, you know, a Thomas the Tank Engine-like thing would go along, and you'd go, it's about three miles that way, that way, and there's a little coffee shop and all that. And it was a great thing to do. It's like the old days. But the rest of the time, it didn't run, only on a Sunday. And so as teenagers, we would walk along these, these rails, like balancing to see who could get the furthest on the, the rail line before falling off. Sometimes we'd play other games, like see who could spit the chewing gum, the furthest amount of sleepers, we actually had to hit. So I think eight was the record. And those sort of teenage games that, that we all play. But as I remember walking along, trying to balance, it's a bit like you're dependent on God to keep on this rail. But the sleepers go horizontal, don't they? And the rail goes straight. And as you walk along that, that rail and you look down, it's like you're walking over a cross and then another cross and another cross. Welcome to the crucified life. Because the rail is like God's journey over these difficulties we will have difficulties jesus suffered we will suffer sometimes and as as we're walking over god is keeping us on that rail because he's keeping us going and that rail goes over those crosses over those difficulties and it keeps us to the destination of that station we'll keep the train theme for this last little picture, but uh, many of us go to London, uh, well, we used to, <laughs> and we would fly to Gatwick and then take the train to Victoria Station. That's normally my pretty, once or twice a year, do that route. But Victoria Station, or it could be any station in any big city in the world. You can sit on a train, 
And you're looking at your watch and you think, oh, one minute to go. And all of a sudden, you're looking to the left and right. There's all these other trains in the platforms. And yours starts to move. You might be reading your Bible in a nice warm carriage. You look to the left two minutes later, or one minute later, and actually you've moved nowhere. It was the other train that actually went off. Has anyone else ever? It's a, it's a complete thing where you're convinced you're moving. And actually, you, you've moved nowhere. You're still in the station. And the danger is <laughs> that we can be reading our Bible in the comfort of the station, but we've not actually moved anywhere. We're still in the station. We've settled in to that comfort. And the challenge is to get off the static train, to walk across the platform, to get onto the train. And on the front of this train, it says, going forward by faith, moving on into God's purpose for my life. Let's, um, let's pray. Um, Thank you, Lord. There's only one response we can do. Could, could we all stand if we're able? And... Um, and I'm going to do it too. And if we could just move a little bit within the distancing thing. And as we step somewhere, just I'll pray in a minute. We're stepping into, in a way, you're not moving for me. I don't want you to move a millimetre for me, but I do want you to move a thousand miles for Jesus. And, and as we've moved, whether it's just standing up or stepping, we're surrendering our lives to him and we're saying we're prepared to be moved or to move or to, to, to go through the doors you're opening not go through the ones you're closing but we're surrendering to your plan for our lives so Lord Jesus I thank you for every one of us this morning that's in this room that, that has you in our hearts We thank you that for a time such as this, you have given us life and it's a precious gift. We're very aware of that, particularly this morning. And we pray that you'll inspire each of us to have the courage to make the changes, to continue to move, to take the risks and build your kingdom for a time such as this. In Jesus' precious and powerful name, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.